Hey guys, welcome back. I'm Brooke and you're listening to episode 15 of M is for Murder. I don't know about where you guys live, but here in Atlanta, we're starting to have some really beautiful weather. This past week was just the most wonderful afternoons. I spent them outside on the porch with Derby, kind of just roaming around the yard while I did research, and it was just amazing. I'm very, very thankful it's starting to get warm. Um, But when I was brainstorming ideas for each letter earlier in the season, I knew pretty easily what I wanted to cover for this week. Today, it's almost hard not to watch the news with the 24-7 coverage. It's everywhere all the time. So this week, I'm going to cover deaths that happened live on TV. O is for on air. We'll start with the most recent. On August 26, 2015, Allison Parker was conducting a live interview with Vicki Gardner, the executive director of the local Chamber of Commerce, on the CBS affiliate WDBJ morning news program, Morning. Allison's co-worker, Adam Ward, was filming behind the camera. Vicki Gardner was sharing the upcoming events for the 50th anniversary of Smith Mountain Lake, a lake about 26-ish miles southeast of Roanoke, Virginia. At 6.46 a.m. in the middle of the live segment, eight gunshots were heard, followed by screams. Adam's camera fell to the ground, briefly showing a man holding a Glock 19 9mm pistol. The WDBJ... That's such a tongue twister. Production master, control operators, switched back to the very confused anchor in the studio, Kimberly McBroom. Unfortunately, both Allison Parker and Adam Ward died on the scene. Vicki Gardner, the interviewee, was also shot but survived following surgery. She had been shot in the back after attempting to play dead on the ground. Allison died from gunshot wounds to her head and chest, and Adam died from shots to his head and torso. A little bit about Allison and Adam. Allison Bailey Parker was born August 19, 1991, and grew up in Collinsville, Virginia. She attended Patrick Henry Community College before transferring to James Madison University. There, she was a news editor at The Breeze, the official student newspaper, a member of Alpha Phi Sorority, and a tutor for freshman calculus students. So she was dipping her toe in all sorts of ponds. Before becoming a correspondent for WDBJ in 2014, Allison first interned at the station in 2012 and then worked as a general assignment news reporter at ABC affiliate WCTI-TV in New Bern, North Carolina until May of 2014. She loved her job in journalism, but still found time to give back. She was rehearsing to be a contestant in the Valley Stars benefit for the Salvation Army of Roanoke Turning Point. This was the only secure center in the Roanoke Valley for adult survivors and their children who were in imminent danger from family and intimate partner violence. Allison was engaged to the love of her life, Chris Hurst. Adam Lang Ward was born May 10, 1988 in Daleville, Virginia. He grew up in Salem and went to Virginia Tech where he found a love for journalism. 
He interned on the Greg Roberts radio show and at WDBJ before graduating with a degree in communications and media studies in 2011. He started working at WDBJ, I'm telling you, such a tongue twister, in July 2011 as a videographer and occasional sports reporter. Adam was engaged to the love of his life, Melissa Ott. They were planning to get married in July 2016. So Allison and Adam's co-workers in the newsroom reviewed the video footage from the incident and were able to identify the man holding the gun and the likely gunman as former co-worker Vester Lee Flanagan II. They alerted the general manager who passed on the information to the county sheriff and the manhunt began. Vester Lee Flanagan II was born on October 8, 1973, and grew up in Oakland, California as a Jehovah Witness. He attended San Francisco State University and got a degree in radio and television in 1995. He interned at CBS affiliate KPIX in San Francisco in 1993 and eventually turned it into a full-time job as a production assistant and weekend news writer. From February 1997 to March 1999, Vesta worked as a general assignment news reporter at CBS affiliate WTOC in Savannah, Georgia. He then worked as a reporter for NBC affiliate WTWC in Tallahassee, Florida from March 1999 to March 2000. He reported to the news director Don Schaefer that co-workers were making offensive comments about his sexual orientation. Later, in an interview with Daily Mail, former sports reporter Dave Laval said that Vester verbally abused two women co-workers at WTWC on different occasions after they pointed out mistakes in his reports. He also stated that several photographers tried to get out of working on stories with him due to his diva behavior. Diva, in quotes. Um, In March 2000, Vester lost his job due to, quote, odd behavior and subsequently filed a civil lawsuit against WTWC alleging racial discrimination as he was African-American. The lawsuit was settled in January 2001. The owner, Sinclair Broadcast Group, had discontinued the station in November 2000 due to poor ratings and budget reductions. Vester worked at CBS affiliate WNCT in Greenville, North Carolina from 2002 to 2004. It's unclear what work Vester did for the next eight years, but in April 2012, WDBJ announced that they had hired Vester as a multimedia journalist under the professional name Bryce Williams. Documents show that while at WDBJ, he had conflicts with other reporters and photographers. In July 2012, news director Dan Dennison ordered Vester to contact Health Advocate, a U.S. national health advocacy company, after complaints were made that other employees were feeling threatened or uncomfortable. However, it's unclear if he actually did so. In February 2013, Vester was dismissed because of his volatile behavior. Upon hearing this, he lashed out at newsroom staffers, resulting in the staffers being put in a separate room while police escorted him out of the building. Allegedly, Adam filmed him being escorted out, and the two had a verbal confrontation. Vester filed an EEOC complaint, which is Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, 
alleging racial discrimination and allegedly naming Allison Parker specifically in it. The EEOC investigated the claim but dismissed it as uncooperated. Vester had both Facebook and Twitter accounts where he repeated his claims of racial discrimination by WB, WDBJ, specifically naming Allison Parker and Adam Ward. He claimed Allison had made a coded racist remark during her internship and that Adam had filed a complaint against him. On the day of the shooting at 8.23 a.m., so after the shooting, ABC News received a 23-page fax allegedly sent by Vester entitled, quote, Suicide Note for Friend and Family. In it, he described his grievances over what he alleged to be racial discrimination and sexual harassment committed by black men and white women in the workplace. He believed he was targeted because he was a homosexual black man. He claimed that the, quote, tipping point was the Charleston Church shooting just two months earlier. For those that don't know, on June 17, 2015, a mass shooting took place at Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Nine African Americans were killed during a Bible study. Three survived. The shooter was white supremacist Dylan Roof. So... Back to Virginia, a spokesman for the Franklin County Sheriff's Office said that Vester, quote, very closely identified with individuals who have committed domestic acts of violence and mass murder, as well as the 9-11 attacks on the United States, and that Jehovah had told him to act. Vester also expressed in his note that he had admiration for the two perpetrators of the 1999 Columbine High School Massacre and the perpetrator of the 2007 Virginia Tech shooting. At 11.14 a.m., Vester uploaded a 56-second phone camera video onto his Twitter and Facebook accounts. The video was a first-person account of the shooting. It shows Vester walking up to the interview holding a handgun for about 15 seconds without anyone noticing. He then mutters, bitch, before raising the gun and opening fire directly at Allison. She screams before attempting to run away. The light of Adam's camera is seen quickly dropping to the ground before Vester turns it off. After the attack, Vester left his Ford Mustang at the Roanoke-Blacksburg Regional Airport before, before driving off in a rental Chevrolet Sonic. An automated license reader in a Virginia State trooper's car picked up the plate at 11.20 a.m. The trooper called for backup and then attempted to initiate a traffic stop. Vester sped away. He ran his car off the road and struck an embankment after less than two miles. He was found inside the car with gunshot wounds, which were self-inflicted while he was driving. He was airlifted to the hospital, but declared dead at 1.26 p.m. One of the saddest things about this is the fact that it was televised live. Adam's own fiance had to witness the shooting while it was being broadcasted. And even after Vester's Twitter and Facebook accounts were suspended and his video posting removed, the video remained on YouTube for a long time after. And by long time, I mean at least four years. Andy Parker, Allison's dad, never watched the videos of her murder, but he continued to notify YouTube and Google, YouTube's owner, that the graphic video still existed on the platform as of February 2020. He also became an advocate on the issue of gun violence prevention. 
The shooting also led Allison's fiance, Chris, to successfully run for a seat in the Virginia House of Delegates with a priority to pass gun control legislation. Unfortunately, this was not the first time someone's death was caught on live television. Back in 1974, the first person died by suicide on a live broadcast. That person was Christine Chubbuck. Christine was born on August 24, 1944 in Hudson, Ohio. She attended Laurel School for Girls where she jokingly formed a, quote, dateless wonder club with other, quote, rejected girls who did not have dates on Saturday night. Christine first attended Miami University in Ohio, then Endicott College in Massachusetts, before finally earning a broadcasting degree from Boston University in 1965. Christine worked at a few different news stations located in cities like Cleveland, Canton, and Pittsburgh before landing at WXLT in Sarasota, Florida. WXLT's owner, Bob Nelson, originally hired Christine to be a reporter, but then later gave her community affairs talk show, Suncoast Digest. The show ran at 9 a.m. and was described to a local paper as a show that would, quote, feature local people and local activities and, quote, give attention to the storefront organizations that are concerned with alcoholics, drug users, and other lost segments of the community. Christine took her position very seriously. It was revealed after her death that she had been nominated for a Forestry and Conservation Recognition Award. On some occasions, she would incorporate homemade puppets she used to entertain children with intellectual disabilities during her volunteer work at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Christine regularly spoke to her family, whom she was close with, about her struggles with depression and suicidal tendencies. She attempted to overdose in 1970 and frequently referenced it. She had been seeing a psychiatrist up until several weeks before her suicide. Christine's mother, Peg, had decided not to disclose her daughter's suicidal thoughts to the news station in fear that it would cause her to be fired. Generally, the driving force behind Christine's depression is thought to be the lack of intimate relationships in her life. Peg, her mother, would later summarize that Christine's suicide was due to the fact that, quote, her personal life was just not enough. Greg, Christine's brother, believed her constant self-deprecation for being dateless contributed to her ongoing depression. About a year before her suicide, Christine had her right ovary removed in an operation. She was told that if she did not get pregnant within the next two to three years, it was unlikely she would ever be able to conceive. A week before her suicide, Christine told Night News editor Rob Smith that she had bought a gun and joked about killing herself on air. Rob later said he did not respond to what he thought was a sick attempt at humor. But on the morning of July 17, 1954, Christine told coworkers that she had to read a newscast to open Suncoast Digest, something she normally did not do. During the first eight minutes, Christine covered three national news stories and then a shooting from the previous day that had happened at a local restaurant. Christine then said, quote, in keeping with Channel 40's policy of bringing you the latest in blood and guts and in living color, you are going to see another first, an attempted suicide. She then took out a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson Model 36 and shot herself behind her right ear. She fell forward and the technical director faded the broadcast to black. 
The station quickly ran a standard PSA and then a movie. Some television viewers called the police and some called the station to inquire if the shooting was staged. Christine was taken to Sarasota Memorial where she was pronounced dead 14 hours later. Unlike the tragic murders of Allison Parker and Adam Ward, the footage of Christine's death has not been seen since its initial airing. There were a few theories on what happened to it, but in June 2016, it was confirmed that the footage had been in the station owner, Robert Nelson's, possession, but his widow had passed it on to a, quote, very large law firm for safekeeping, and there are no plans for it to ever be available publicly. In 1987, an American politician who served as the 30th state treasurer of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania made the same decision that Christine did in 1974. His name was R. Bud Dwyer. He served from 1965 to 1971 as a Republican member of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives and as a member of the Pennsylvania State Senate from 1971 to 1981. It was then that he began serving as the state treasurer. I'm just going to quote Wikipedia here because, honestly, it's easier since they summarized it very well, and I'm not great at understanding politics, so to try and put this in layman's terms from my own understanding did not work. So, here it is. Quote, In the early 1980s, Pennsylvania discovered its state workers had overpaid federal taxes due to errors in state withholding prior to Dwyer's administration. As a result, the state required an accounting firm to determine refunds for its employees. Dwyer awarded the no-bid U.S. $4.6 million contract to Computer Technology Associates, or CTA, a California-based firm. In early 1984, Dennis Schatzman, deputy controller of the Pittsburgh School District, notified or sorry, noticed financial discrepancies in the CTA contract and wrote to Pittsburgh school officials regarding these and then later contacted officials at the accounting firm Arthur Young & Associates. They confirmed that the no-bid CTA contract was overpriced by millions of dollars. In late July 1984, Janice R. Kincaid, a former CTA employee, released a sworn statement claiming that Dwyer awarded the contract to CTA because he was promised a $300,000 kickback by the company. In June 1984, the Office of the Pennsylvania Auditor General informed the FBI of bribery that occurred during the awarding of the contract. Upon learning of this investigation, Dwyer rescinded the contract with CTA. Subsequently, Dwyer repeatedly attempted to stop, divert, and forestall the investigation. After being indicted by a federal jury, federal grand jury, Dwyer was finally charged with agreeing to receive a kickback of $300,000 in return for awarding CTA the contract. End quote. So hope you understand that. Basically, Dwyer gave a company the job because he was going to get money for it, which you can't do. On December 18th, 1986, he was found guilty on 11 counts of conspiracy, mail fraud, perjury, and interstate transportation in aid of racketeering, and consequently faced a sentence of up to 55 years imprisonment and a $300,000 fine. 
On January 15, 1987, Dwyer spoke with his press secretary, James Horshock, and Deputy Treasurer Don Johnson about the idea of a press conference. Both men cautioned Dwyer not to use the conference to attack anyone involved in the criminal conviction and also suggested that if he did hold one, to not hold it in his office. Dwyer assured them that he would not attack anyone, but he would also not be resigning. However, both men assumed he just would end up resigning anyways at the end. The next day, Dwyer visited his lawyer, Paul Killian, and was advised to express repentance for his crimes. Dwyer told him that he would announce his resignation at the end of the conference. On January 21st, Dwyer asked his press secretary and deputy press secretary to set up the press conference for the following day without telling them what he wanted to discuss. They did so, and they called a dozen reporters asking them to attend and informing them that they themselves did not know what the conference was about or what it would entail. The next morning, everything went on as planned. Dwyer began reading from a 21-page statement, later described as, quote, rambling polemic about the criminal justice system. When he reached the end, Dwyer went off script. Quote, I repeatedly said that I'm not going to resign as state treasurer. After many hours of thought and meditation, I've made a decision that should not be an example to anyone because it is unique to my situation. Last May, I told you that after the trial, I would give you the story of the decade. To those of you who are shallow, the events of this morning will be that story. But to those of you with depth and concern, the real story will be what I hope and pray results from this morning. In the coming months and years, the development of a true justice system here in the United States. I'm going to die in office in an effort to see if the shameful facts spread out in all their shame will not burn through our civic shamelessness and set fire to American pride. Please tell my story on every radio and television station and in every newspaper and magazine in the U.S. Please leave immediately if you have a weak stomach or mind since I don't want to cause physical or mental distress. Joanne, Rob, Didi, I love you. Thank you for making my life so happy. Goodbye to you all on the count of three. Please make sure that the sacrifice of my life is not in vain. End quote. Dwyer then pulled out an envelope from under the podium. Inside was a .357 Magnum revolver. He then said, please leave the room if this will affect you before putting the gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger. Dwyer fell to the floor. He died instantly. Although the press conference was never aired live, several stations showed edited footage of the suicide. Many froze the footage just prior to the gunshot while the audio continued over the frozen image, but a couple news stations aired the entire footage in full, causing viewers to see it all without warning. Many kids and adults were home due to a major snowstorm and saw the whole thing. There has been speculation that Dwyer was an innocent man, but all attempted appeals since his death have been denied and his convictions upheld. So there you have it. Three very different stories about deaths on air. 
It's unclear why Christine Chubbuck felt the desire to commit such a devastating act on television for others to see. I believe Vester Flanagan and Arba Dwyer were each trying to prove their own point in some way. What do you think? Let me know on Instagram or Twitter at MSForMurderPod. You can also contact me via email, MSForMurder at gmail.com or via the website, MSForMurder.com, where you can also find all the sources used for today's episode. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with your other true crime friends. Also, if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, depression, or suicide, please call the National Suicide Hotline 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. Don't forget, new episodes drop every other Friday. Next episode is the letter P. Have a great weekend, stay safe, and I'll see you on the internet.